Welcome to another episode, Dr. James Beckett's Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein, as you can see from the show notes. We're debuting a new type of uh, episode today. You know, as you've, if you've been listening, we have some experimental, some then and now, some origin stories, some uh, tributes, uh, but this is a, a what if episode that's going to be uh, not like the Twilight Zone, but it'll be something that we'll explore into uh, reaches that we haven't gone. Again, all pretty much with a positive tone, uh, if you can accept the premise. But we're going to be talking about the card company sponsors that we have for the show, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck in particular. But I do have other sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, as well as Heritage Auctions, Hug the Scott Auctions, and Burbank Sports Cards, and Mike's Stadium Sports Cards. But we're going to talk about the what if these card company sponsors were not only not sponsoring this show, but did not exist. What if they weren't there? What if there was no tops? I'm not saying that there was never a tops necessarily, but but there was. there's not a tops right now. There's not a panini right now. There's not an upper deck. What are the ramifications of that? So I've got Rich here for us to explore unedited and unplanned uh, that what if scenario, which would be chaos, don't you think, Rich? Yeah, I think it'd be a little bit chaos, but I think there would have been other companies that had, would either have stayed in business or jumped into the breach. We probably would have Panini or Donruss as your, not Panini, I mean Fleer or Donruss as your number one company. Fleer had been because doing- Because they wouldn't have been squeezed. They wouldn't have been squeezed. Fleer has, Fleer has a history back to 1923. Yeah. Donruss under various nomenclatures was doing cards in the 40s and 50s under different names. There have been some people that have accused- uh, both of those, uh, perhaps Fleer more so, of of kind of uh, not being a very well-run company toward the end. Do you think that was the pressure of, of of the competitive marketplace? I think there were a lot of things going on. Fleer had new ownership at the time, and I never interacted with the ownership. You may have. I did, actually. I mean, that, But again, it's a complicated thing. When you have ownership, you have management, you have uh, the staff, the team, there were some really good people in there. I'm not denying that. But all in all... They had some difficulties in their last few years. And I, and I think they did get hit in the, as you said, in the squeeze. And I think without tops, okay. the squeeze is a lot less than it, than it was in the, you know, 2003, four and five era. And I remember from the analyst days I had at Beckett, they were definitely having troubles at the very end. Yes. Okay. And I was actually there. <laughs> I met with them. I went up to Philadelphia and, and it was, uh, it was awkward. But, uh, my scenario for tops, uh, it, that not that Fleer and Donruss would pick up the slack as much as, what if Bowman defeated Tops? What if Tops was bought out by Bowman instead of the other way around? If I, if I were Bowman and in 1956, if, if the 55 Bowmans had, had uh, trumped and dominated the 55 Tops and, uh, and Tops says, we yield, then Bowman says, we're going to buy your company, which I guess included candy and gum and, and, and the cards. The first thing I do if I'm the Bowman people, I hire Cy Berger <laughs> and Woody Gelman and some of the other people that were the the, the creative uh, force behind Tops. And if that happens, then even though there's not a Tops, I'm wondering if Bowman wouldn't have carried on again with that legacy and those and those uh, 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 those uh, outstanding uh, guys. What do you think about that? Well, you know, and I like that. What I also think in retrospect is interesting is 55 Bowman. If you think about it, a it's a bigger set. Yes. But until the last series, they actually have a higher preponderance of stars and superstars than Tops does. One of the things with 55 Tops with all the rookies is they're almost grasping for straws in that set. You get a Koufax rookie. You get a Clemente rookie. You get a Ken Boyer rookie. You get a Killebrew rookie, none of whom are in Bowman because Tops doesn't have as many players signed. 
Well, and then you got the four missing guys. Right. So there had to be some back and forth, and either they pulled or or th- there was plans. So so again, that's so there was some chaos in 1955. But out of the chaos, tops won and is carried on to this day. And now they they have the 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 uh, kind of the, the baseball license. But what if they didn't? I mean, again, nowadays with modern cards with all these other companies, it's just that if you didn't have tops now, and again, not I mean, if Bowman had taken them over. Obviously, but if you didn't have tops at all, so tops and Bowman go away, you didn't have all these wonderful tops heritage. And in fact, tops isn't the only one, the only company that has borrowed designs from the past. There have been some other, uh, competitors of tops that have uh, upper deck vintage, uh, upper deck, yeah, upper deck vintage in baseball uh, designs, notably, notably. Uh, and so the, the, the wonderful thing about the, the hobby, the industry is this, is this freshness along with the nostalgia. And I think the Bowman thing would have been interesting because if Bowman takes, if Bowman takes tops over, do we get to the standard size, what we call the standard size card in 1957? Or does it take Good a while? Good point. Maybe we'd be, it, well, you know, the, one of the worst examples of sets that had bad cuts is 55 Bowman. You know, you stack them all up. You don't, you don't get, uh, uh you get some money, especially in the first series. Well, I've well, told the story when Rosen got the fine to 55 Bowman, Mel and I, Mel Solomon and I opened the pack. Nine cards of 55 Bowman come out of the pack. Every one yeah. is cut just slightly differently. There's a different size of nine different cards. Okay, let's let's go to Panini real quickly now. Panini was over in Italy, <laughs> Europe, minding their own business, doing these stickers and having a, what apparently was a great business that that is that is. And you know, I collected some of the soccer and Olympic kind of stuff back in the you know, 70s or 80s, and you you we were looking for those things to kind of fill in the catalog in case we ever were going to do soccer or some of those other things, but. Uh, what if they'd never come to America? You know, that's interesting. And it's what's interesting is, and I forgot the name of the book, but there's actually a fascinating book done on the whole sticker wars in England, huh. the soccer sticker wars in England. And I communicated with the writer because he's doing one on pro set right now. Oh, that'd be very cool. That'd it, be it, very interesting. It's going to be a really good book. And, and his his book on the English st- stickers were very interesting. And he talked to all the executives he could find, hmm. including the Panini executives, many of whom are now in this country. Right. And it's really cool to see that, oh, I know this person. I know this person. Yeah. And for me, for Panini, the glib answer is, I have a heck of a lot more trouble getting really cool items for my Adat Havarin card show. <laughs> if Panini were around. Well, that's, <laughs> that's actually, again, uh, Panini is, um, well, of these three sponsors that I have, they're the, they're the, uh, they can't be the new kid on the block as a company, but they're a new kid on the block for American sports cards. But in reality. And they've, they've tried really hard to make a splash, and they have. And they're also, and if you legitimately have a reason to ask them for product and ideas, they are the best of the three companies. I'm not saying Tops and Upper Deck aren't good. They just happen to be, and I've heard this from more than just me, because I know some people at Panini, but this, and so do you, but this is really more of a case where they legitimately are the best of the three companies at sending product to people when there's a legitimate reason. Okay. Okay. Uh, what about Upper Deck? Upper Deck came in, made a big splash. It's been, uh, I guess, a little more than 30 years if you, if yeah. you go by the calendar, but they're, they're, this is their 30th year. They're finishing their 30th year and they came in with the first really kind of a premium, uh, double pri- price pack. They, they came in at a price point that was, uh, that was double what the standard was. Uh, I'm wondering if, if, if they hadn't come in, would uh, would anybody have done that? I'm going at this from a different point of view. Okay. Would Ken Griffey Jr. had become the icon that he was in the 1990s to this day? If co- he hadn't had that card. If he hadn't had on that the card. the corner of the sheet with... An, an, a, a beautiful picture, just a portrait photo, card number one. What a way to lead off the company. A perfect card, a heavily in demand card. A card that 
It was clearly his best rookie. It's clearly his best rookie, but also clearly an iconic card. You can have 50 million of those cards, and you might actually end up selling 50 million. There's not 50 million. There's only like 2 million, Rich, I think. But but my point is that you can. And not all of them are graded, not all of them are tens, but it did did grade well. Because, I mean, the production values of Upper Deck. I mean, we've talked about Upper Deck. Uh, there, I'm sure there would have been somebody coming in that would have been uh, with a premium card company at some point. But the interesting thing about Upper Deck is that they had a, a printing executive, a, a really uh, shrewd accountant, and a, and a card shop that got together and and uh, and made history. And you know, so I, I I don't know that that unique combination just coalesces and spontaneously combusts. But it did a great job, and it got interest into the hobby. I mean, when we always were waiting in 1989, I was still dealing and working in a store in 89. And I remember Upper Deck was like waiting for Godot. It's like waiting for them to arrive. And when they arrive, everybody wants the cards. And the cards are not just premium, but they're heavier. The wax cases weighs like 52 pounds, like a tops case weighs like 35 or 40. The <laughs> cases are heavier. When you're carrying monster boxes of 89 Upper Deck, it's so much different than carrying 89 Tops or Donruss monster boxes. Well, he could fit more per inch, I think, yes. too. But uh, no, I, I just, I just think when Upper Deck came in, that was a, that was a, that was a very positive development. And I think it, they, their biggest deal in the beginning was the hologram on the back. Yes, that that was going to be the anti counterfeit. And now there, and after the first year or so, people didn't think about that. They just thought this is a premium card, and uh, and and I want some. And, and they, they also they printed. Used- Perhaps to demand in in some cases, which was not true demand because they're still working through uh, some of the early '90s stuff. But but they also had incredibly good photos. They, they really did. they really they spotlighted really good photos, and that was the other thing. They score had really good photos. They had good photos front and back and great text. But Upper Deck had the photos that okay. just made it so attractive. So score. Uh, Again, came in around that same time, slightly before, I guess. They were a year before. But they, and they had good production values, but not super premium, not premium to that point. They had color on front and back as well. So do you think they would have picked up the slack? They very well could have picked up the slack too, because they already were printing, the printing place did the sports flex cards, so they were right. used to doing higher they, quality, higher quality cards yeah, print already. So they may have been the leader of who's the first one to go premium? Score and Grand Prairie. Yeah. With Sportflix, are you saying? Yeah, they remember it was Sportflix. They did Sportflix, yeah. and they which said, which never caught on really as a premium brand. Well, as my old friend Hank Davis used to say, Sergeant Henry Davis used to say, when you have to bob your head to see what the photo yeah. of the card is, you've got a problem. Right. Well, what I didn't like about him is that they had a bunch of cards that had three different players lenticularly squinting to figure out which one was going to reflect. I, I don't think that I, was a great idea. I okay. think by their final year or two of Sportflix in '89 and '90, they'd yeah. gotten it down correctly. Finally, yeah, to do one player. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, just, there are cards that had six or 12? 12, 12, 12, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so no tops. Tops doesn't exist. Then it either somebody else filled in the slack or, or Bowman bought them out. Again, Bowman, the brand, is still preserved by tops, but yeah. it could be the other way around. That'd be interesting. Uh, Panini could be still in uh, Europe. and uh, But uh, again, maybe I think cards have been are way more of an international thing than they were 20, 30, 40 years yeah. ago. So maybe it was inevitable that Panini would come here. But the fact that they could pick up some of these uh, licenses that had gone kind of gone under uh, gave them a jump start into this. And we know a lot of the guys that are there that had a lot of hobby background. And so they've they've exploited it, in, in, in I think, in the good way. And Upper Deck, wow. They, they uh, like I said, it's uh, people... Uh, all three of those companies have been successful, and I know, Rich, from when we were involved with Beckett Publications, people would always try to figure out what's the one thing 
that makes the company successful. And it was never just one thing. And so the success of Tops and Panini and Upper Deck, it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of things. And now they've all kind of stood the test of time and not just standing the test of time in a, in a market that's static. This, it's very fluid. They've had all three of those have been, have been, have had to be very nimble. The brands that are represented there have had, uh, uh, management and ownership changes uh, for different reasons. That doesn't make them different companies, but it, it show, shows each one of them has had to adapt. Uh, FLIR was the original uh, adapt or die? Yes, adapt <laughs> or die, and FLIR and, didn't and, adapt enough. And they enough. didn't adapt enough, but uh, uh, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck have been adapting, and that's part of the deal. Any last thoughts, Rich, about uh, this what if of if these card I, companies didn't exist? I think that's fun, and I think the Bowman Tops thing is fascinating. There are books on that subject, and I think that's a, a subject that we'll, we'll be talking about in the hobby forever. Well, I mean, uh, Tops apparently had their act together more. I don't know that they had deeper pockets, but the, and, and it, again, we'll we'll do episodes. Uh, I, I'm really eager to do a, a tribute episode to Cyberger, but I think he was part of the secret sauce, not just the fact that they were. Well, I mean, I just think it's uh, a pretty pretty amazing ride that Tops has had, and it, and they've continued to in, innovate. So again, thanks, card company sponsors. We're very glad that you not only exist, but you're sponsors of the show. We'll do some other what-ifs. Rich and I will come back uh, another time and do some other what-ifs about uh, other sponsors as well as other issues in the hobby. If you've got ideas that uh, you think would be interesting for us to cover, uh, send it in. You can uh, just send in something to drjamesbeckett at gmail.com, all spelled out. Uh, I just got a nice uh, bounce back from somebody a couple days ago who had attached a, a voice a voice file, so I can play that uh, pretty soon here. I'll wrap an episode around that. So we want to be responsive. We want to have a good time. We're glad you're listening. Thanks, Rich. We will be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house of cards. The man in the-